Today's reading is Mark chapter 6. This is a one of the longer chapters, I guess, in Mark. It's uh, 56 verses, um, but it's a great, great chapter with some cool things to see in it. Um, in the chapter, if you've read it, you know that Jesus is rejected in his own, own hometown. Uh, he sends the 12 out on a short mission. John the Baptist is put to death. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals the sick. I mean, it's a full chapter, and there's no way we're going to address everything here. But I just want to make two uh, points I think are somewhat noteworthy. Uh, And they may not be, uh, they may be things that you you didn't necessarily spend a great deal of time thinking about. But one, the first point is uh, Jesus marveled. He marveled. So the chapter begins with, Jesus coming back to his hometown of Nazareth to teach and continue the ministry that he had done in other towns, verse 1. And we're told that it, when it was the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue and began to teach them. In verse 2, the Gospel of Luke, which we'll see uh, as we continue this reading through the New Testament, when Luke records this story in Luke chapter 4, he gives us a glimpse of what he taught them that day. Uh, Luke's account tells us that Jesus... Uh, remarks in the synagogue that day made plain that he was the Messiah as prophesied in the Old Testament. Well, as Mark tells the story, his emphasis is primarily on how the people responded to Jesus. As they listened to him teach that day, he remarks on how, in verse 2 on how the people were astonished by Jesus. They were especially astonished by, verse 2 says, the wisdom that he displayed in his teaching. And they also expressed amazement at the mighty works that he had done, verse 2. It's difficult to know whether these mighty works they were talking about were the few healings that he did uh, that he did, he did that were mentioned in verse five, or if word had gotten around from the various miracles he had already performed in other towns. Regardless, the people were aware of the mighty works done by Jesus, and they took notice of the wisdom with which he spoke and taught. Now, with the various descriptions of their reaction in verse two, you might think Jesus would have been received favorably. In Nazareth, but in verse three, we're told they began to second guess and doubt the validity or seriousness of Jesus and his message and his ministry. They began to recall that he had grown up in that town and how they knew his whole family, even Jesus' sisters, who happened to be in the synagogue that day. And there's an old phrase that says, "Familiarity breeds contempt," and that seems to hold true here, despite their astonishment at his wisdom. And his mighty works, verse 3 tells us they took offense at him. They couldn't get past their preconceived notions of who Jesus was, and therefore they simply took offense at everything he claimed to be and everything he commanded of them. In fact, we're told that their reaction limited the miracles that Jesus did among them, verse 5. I don't think Mark is saying that Jesus simply couldn't do the miracles. Like, you know, his power to do them was somehow dependent on them. We saw in the last chapter that his power is limitless. He does what is impossible, to us at least. But notice in previous chapters and elsewhere, Jesus most often performed his miracles in response to people's faith. Um, We saw that in Mark 2, verses 5 through 12, and chapter 5, verse 34 and 36. I just think their, their hardened response in Nazareth limited their opportunities in which Jesus was willing to perform a miracle. Notice in verse 5 that Jesus still, quote, laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, regardless of their faithless reaction. And then we're told something unique. In verse 6, Jesus, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus marveled. 
because of their unbelief. Mark here uses the Greek word thaumatso, thaumatso, which is translated to marvel or to be amazed, to describe what Jesus did in reaction to the people of his own hometown. Interestingly, there's only one other place in the Bible where this word is used of Jesus. That's in Matthew chapter 8. In that passage, uh, we read of a Roman centurion urgently pleading with Jesus to heal his servant. That's Matthew 8, verses 5 and 6. The centurion, very uncharacteristically for most centurions of that day, expressed genuine humility before the Lord uh, in verse 7, Matthew 8, 7, and by faith acknowledged that Jesus could merely say the word and his servant would be healed, Matthew 8, 8. In that context, Jesus looked at that Roman soldier and marveled at his faith, Matthew 8, 10. That centurion, a Gentile, probably with a pagan background and upbringing, would have at that time been one of the most unlikely people to say or to pay such faithful homage to the Lord. Jesus marveled at his faith. But there in his own hometown, in the synagogue, no less, where Jesus, where the scriptures were read and studied weekly, even daily, Jesus was not recognized. And instead of believing, they took offense at him. In Luke's account, we read that they even tried to kill him, Luke four twenty-eight through 30. And unlike the centurion, whose faith caused Jesus to marvel, Jesus marveled here at their unbelief. Don't let your familiarity with Jesus and with the church and with the things of the Christian faith create in you an apathetic, calloused, and doubting heart. Pray to the Lord that he would guard your heart and make you more like the centurion in Matthew's gospel. All of us are easily blinded by familiarity. The remedy is not to take a break from it, but to immerse yourself even more in the scriptures and in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to impress upon you more each day the reality of Christ and the truth of his word. Here's the second thing I want us to note from this chapter, and I think it's, a, it's just a, an interesting little tidbit, and that is the phrase uh, found here, he meant to pass by them. Uh, the account of in verses 45 through 52 of Jesus walking on water. Now, <clears throat> I've read and studied the different gospel accounts of this episode I don't know how many times. The story is also told in Matthew uh, chapter 14, verses 23 through 32. It's told in John's gospel, chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. But there's something unique about Mark's telling of it that I was reminded of again as I read it. Mark adds a detail that neither Matthew nor John mention. As the disciples were out in the boat on the sea, Jesus had stayed back, verse 46 tells us, to pray. In the very early hours of the morning, Jesus saw that the disciples were struggling against the wind out on the sea, verse 38. I mean, excuse me, verse 48. So what did he do? Uh, he began going out to them, walking on the sea. Now, that in itself is noteworthy. I mean, this is most definitely a miracle, something that doesn't occur in the natural order of things. But it's at this point where Mark adds a unique de detail to the story. At the end of verse 48, he, he adds, He meant to pass them by. He meant to pass them by. What in the world does he mean by that? If Jesus could walk on water, surely he wasn't blind so that he couldn't see the disciples or the boat, and so he was just walking right by them. 
so what in the world does it mean? Why did Jesus mean to pass by them? I believe this kind of language is intended to draw the reader's attention back to the Old Testament when God revealed his glory at certain times to certain people by passing by or passing before them. Just two quick examples. First, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses wanted to see the Lord and to see his glory. Exodus 33 verses 13 and 18. So what did the Lord do? He tells Moses in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And to spare Moses' life in the process, verse 22 told us that he put Moses in the cleft of a rock while God said, my glory passes by. The Lord promised to cover Moses, quote, until I have passed by. So three times God said in that, in that passage that he would reveal his glory to Moses by passing by or passing before him. Later in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 19, the Lord chose to reveal himself and his glory to Elijah. He instructed to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 verse 11 to stand on the mount before the Lord. What happened then? We're told uh, in verse 12 of 1 Kings 19, and, the, and behold, the Lord passed by, end quote, and revealed himself to Elijah ultimately through a still small whisper. But here again, the Lord revealed himself to Elijah by passing by, just as he had done before with Moses. So I'm persuaded that when Mark declares that Jesus walked on the water and he meant to pass by them, he is saying that Jesus was revealing his glory to them through this miracle. This understanding of the phrase also makes more sense of the disciples' reaction to seeing it. Notice they don't respond, hey, Jesus, where are you going? We're over here as if Jesus was mistakenly walking past them in the darkness of the night. No, Jesus was doing something more significant and meaningful, which explains why when the disciples saw it, quote, they thought it was a ghost and were terrified, verse 49. Jesus told them not to be afraid, and the disciples, in verses 50 and 51, were utterly astounded. And verse 52 implies that at this event, the disciples were finally awakened to something about who Jesus was because it says that during the feeding of the 5,000 had, that had happened earlier, they, they still did not understand, but their hearts were hardened. This time, when Jesus passed by them and revealed something of his glory to them by walking on the water, their eyes were opened to see it. This is another allusion to the deity of Jesus and another opportunity for us to rejoice in the rich, richness of the truth that he's left us in the scriptures. And that's Mark chapter 6.